Welcome back to Chief Wellbeing Officer Podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 22. It is the WISE Summit Special, Learning Through Wellbeing with Stavros Yanoka. So how are you doing? Hope you're doing well. I'm back from Doha, where I was all last week, working with some different clients, workshop delivery and the theme of leadership in the new world of work, and also doing some teaching at HEC Business School, the Parisian Business School, who have a campus in Doha. Uh, the main reason was the WISE Summit, the World Innovation Summit on Education, uh, also known as the, as the Davos of Education, uh, which was a lot of fun. And it was a real privilege to interview the CEO of WISE, uh, Stavros Yanoka, who interviewed me for the WISE Words podcast just before the summer. So it was great to get some time with Stavros in a very busy time for him, probably his busiest week uh, in two years um, so WISE was was just great um, and getting to know that community um, and a little bit more on, on WISE and, and the interview with Stavros in a few moments. So, you know, time marching on, getting towards festive period, holiday period, Christmas, um, and, you know, and, and still having fun this, this autumn winter with the lab. Um, I'm in Madrid and Amsterdam later this week. Uh, and I'll be launching the SEP paperback in the Uber EMEA headquarters. So I've been fortunate enough to to be working with a lot of um, young managers in Uber the past couple of months and traveling quite a bit for that and talking about stress management with a lot of these young managers. And we're going to finish up this initial roadshow this week. Uh, and it's great to piggyback on the back of that in, the, in the, the regional headquarters on the launch of the new paperback for sustaining executive performance. And a lot of that content that we've been using for stress management and just, you know, believing that even though it was conceived over 10 years ago, it really does seem to be even more valuable today in this, you know, this new world of work where stress and, and, and pressure for young managers who are, are brilliant in their own right, but they still have to learn a lot, let's say, about their their whole selves, their emotional selves, let's say, and different things on stress regarding trigger points and just, you know, dealing with with life and, and work today, which, as we all know, isn't isn't so easy. Um, other things going out, you know, we've been pushing out, um, you know, we've been working with Expansion, the Spanish newspaper, the past couple of months, and we've been continuing with a weekly series of Chief Wellbeing Officer videos in Spanish, so this week will be the eighth and final video in that initial series, which is quite a neat number, having published eight articles over the summer in the well-being space. Um, and then we're going to take stock and then relaunch that early next year. Uh, but having a lot of fun and uh, many thanks to Tamara Vasquez, who's managing a lot of that video work, who's also you know the film reviewer for... Uh, Expansion does a lot of good work in that area. So it's been great to collaborate with those guys in the past few weeks. Um, and then finally, also just, you know, a good friend of mine, Misha Zilka, who we interviewed in last month's episode, you know, former McKinsey partner, now an entrepreneur, um, co-founder of Enable. And we've started a new, again, weekly, we're putting ourselves under a bit of pressure, let's say, with workload, but a new weekly a uh, series on different well-being and productivity tips for the the new world of work um and that's a lot of fun so every week you know just around 500 words on a different you know kind of workplace tip or hack um and a and a fun illustration to to go with that 
Uh, so, you know, we've looked at morning huddles so far, one minute meditation, and later this week, actually tomorrow, we're going to push out number three in this series, uh, which will be about getting up early. So I know for some, that's, hard, that's easier said than others, but we've got some, some advice in that episode this week. So check that out on social media um, and our personal feed, feeds for both Misha and myself. Uh, and we'll get a home for that, and I think in a page on the Leadership Academy of Barcelona website. So I think that's about it on on general. Um, you know, back to the Wise Summit. I was thinking it's been a while since I've been part of a community. So I my PhD is in design thinking. My community was the engineering design community. So you know, very accustomed to publishing in the same conferences and journals, and every two years, right, having that that um, you know get together with with your community where you would you would present different findings and different results of research and you know I, I kind of no regrets on leaving a full-time academic career behind but I also kind of missed that aspect of community you know just sharing ideas and, uh, and, and building relationships with people around the world who are working in the same uh, field and, and, and trying to tackle the same problems as, you, as yourself so when WISE invited me earlier this year it was kind of left field, you know, I'd never heard of the summit, um, but it was curious and, and, you know, it was appealing to just, you know, travel to Doha and, and, and get to know these guys. Got to know them a little bit uh, in the last few months with the podcast interview, you know, on Wise Words. So we have that on our own SoundCloud feed for the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. And you can find that on Apple and all the different platforms for Wise Words. But then, of course, being there and meeting the people, you can't you can't really beat that for getting to know the community. And I was just so impressed. You know, they have, of course, the financial muscle of the Qatar Foundation. But I was just so uh, impressed and humbled by the, the team there. Very hardworking, you know, multinational, highly diverse team. Um, it was a really packed two days of the summit and, and broader visit to, to Doha. And a really eclectic mix of people who were there, you know. So you had Stephen Van Zandt, who, you know, founding member of the E Street Band, Bruce Springsteen, and doing a lot of work with his foundation on education for young kids, with the president of, of Armenia there giving the opening address. And also Shakira came in on day two regarding her own foundation for young children's education. So a really eclectic mix. And, you know, I learned so much from... Um, you know, just attending different sessions and also my own panel. So a shout out to my fellow panelists. We were on a panel called Learning Through Wellbeing. And I learned a lot also from Andy Cope, Ximena Salado, Greta Rossi and Concha Pinos, who are doing so much great work in their own area of of wellbeing. Um, and it was just a great time, you know, and, and uh, looking forward to keeping in touch with those with those guys if you're really curious you know wise summit they have this biennial conference or summit which we'll cover in the main interview now with stavros but you know they're, they're constantly you know in between those summits they're doing a lot of good work and publishing a lot of good research so if you're in the field of education then i think i guess you've probably heard <laughs> of them already but if you haven't then I really encourage you to to look at uh, this community who are doing so much good work. Looking to the interview with Stavros, again, enjoyed my conversation with him and uh, many thanks also to, to Basim for helping us with the production. We recorded this locally in Doha 
just before the summit kickoff. Uh, so I talked with Stavros more broadly on the evolution of the summit, you know, and their aims of establishing the, themselves as the Davos of education, before looking more specifically at well-being and, and the role of well-being in learning. And you can look at learning through well-being or learning for well-being or whatever the relationship is, right? I'm not going to talk too much more. I think you can take it from the conversation, but I just want to highlight one point which I thought was really interesting that came out in this conversation with Stavros and also in my panel with Andy Chimena, Greta and Concha was the importance of socialisation and the importance of connectedness. So learning uh, and well-being, it doesn't happen in a bubble, right? It doesn't happen in isolation. And I think even for myself, that was a good reminder um, whereby we look at a lot of aspects of behaviour change and a lot of things that are within our own control and well-being and our own choices, but we can't just keep that internalised, right? We need to think about how we connect with other people and we're social beings. Uh, and I think even with the workshops that I did done with local companies last week as well, a lot of the conversations were about culture. And, and you can have all of your KPIs and strategies and plans and missions and all these different things, but there's a lot of hidden things within a company. There's a lot of hidden beliefs and habits that you need to tackle. And this is all about a company, an enterprise being a, a social uh, entity. And I think with Stavros, we talked about that aspect that you learn not just through the nuts and bolts of the content, but socialising with others. And I think that's the same with well-being. So I'm just going to leave you with that theme, um, which I think is very important. And just a final word on Stavros, you know, he throws a great party. So thanks again, Stavros, for that final uh, evening party. Um, and hopefully see you again. So thank you, everyone. We'll be back next month, December. I'm thinking about doing a recap on Chief Wellbeing Officer, the new format on the episode since April, but that's still to be decided. But until then, keep well, amigos. Thank you again, and bye for now. Ciao. So hello, Stavros. Thank you so much for joining us in the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast and one of your busiest weeks of the last two years. Yeah, it's it's great to be here, Stephen. So WISE Summit, tell us what is WISE? Well, WISE began life as the World Innovation Summit for Education. So it began life as a, as a big forum where the great and the good gather to uh, discuss and debate uh, education, the challenges, the common challenges that we face, uh, and hopefully come together to build partnerships uh, and, uh, uh, and, and direct their efforts towards common actions and solutions uh, to some of the great uh, education challenges. We've since uh, grown, so we've grown uh, from a, a forum, an event, uh, into a, uh, a think tank, essentially, that uh, does research, on innovation and education, we run programs and we advocate for education, uh, education, innovation, and uh, and reform. Um, and uh, you're here now for the global biennial summit. So we've switched to a two-year cycle for the forum that allows us to to focus on uh, on the other elements that I that I talked about. Great. So every two years now, and and how many editions has there been now? There have been eight editions of the Global Summit. So this is the eighth uh, edition of the Global Summit. We also do uh, regional forums, uh, city-based forums, and we have done six of those. Yeah. 
And mm-hmm. when I received the invite very gratefully earlier this year, and I started to do a little bit of research, and then I found the term that WISE is, is the Davos of education. Is that a fair statement? Are you happy with that? Or Yeah, I, mean, I, I suppose that was, that was the aspiration when, when we were founded, that we wanted to sort of replicate the success of the World Economic Forum. Uh, I think to a certain extent we've we've achieved that. I mean, there there will be um, a couple of of uh, heads of of uh, state that are uh, joining us in in a couple of days. There'll be uh, uh, almost tw- I think twenty ministers of education. There'll be you know business leaders, uh, academics. But I, I think we've uh, and academic leaders. But I, I think we've also c- kind of gone a little bit beyond that. And and I think what's unique about WISE is actually is, is you have the, let's call it the Davos crowd, but we also have a lot of the grassroots folks that are working in education, the teachers, the, uh, the social workers, the, the, uh, the entrepreneurs, the, the startup entrepreneurs, and, and of course, we shouldn't forget the learners, the, the students. So we have about 900 uh, students uh, who will be joining us from uh, middle and and high school, uh, and t- you know taking part in, uh, in in this event. So so we you know we're sort of a I shouldn't say top to bottom, but I can't think of a better better term at the moment. But you know we we cover the full spectrum of of uh, of, of folks who are engaged in in education. Yeah, and I, and I've been very impressed with just keeping an eye on social media activity this year and communication around the summit, that it has been very inclusive and very global in terms of of reach. Uh, and as you say, even just looking at the speaker lineup um, and even looking at some of the, the media that are here, right, that it just seems that, that it has really hit home on a, on, on a global yeah. level. In terms of the mission for you, and you mentioned advocacy and, and looking at different aspects of education. Is there specific challenges within this um, domain of education currently? Is there specific things that you want to look at in terms of just access to education for young kids? Is there a specific demographic that you're looking at? Any, any, any commentary on challenges? Yeah, so we, look, we, we, as we, we are a global summit and the, and the term global refers both to the aspiration to, to cover uh, as much of this wonderful world of ours as, as as we can in terms of of the in, in full diversity of it, but it also refers to the uh, the the holistic nature of of the education challenges that we're facing, and so we don't limit ourselves to a particular age group. We, you know, we we like to say that we we deal with education from you know no hair to gray hair, uh, and and everything in between, um, and and so. There isn't, I would say, a specific, you know, uh, challenge beyond, you know, trying to make sure that quality education is available uh, for all, and um, at at as and when it's it's needed. Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. No hair to gray hair, and it reminds me just, you know, the whole commentary on lifelong learning in especially my domain, which is more, you know, management, executive education. And the changing dynamic in longer lives, and and you know changing context, which means that we don't just go and get one big hit of education at the start of our lives, and then go and work and exploit that. But we need to keep learning uh, and relearning, right? I think exactly. even the, the, the theme of this summit yeah. is unlearn, 
to to relearn, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think that, that that that's very important, even in terms of you know, my, even in a workshop that we that we ran earlier um, today with some local executives, we're looking at the whole learning and growth mindset aspect and how even organisations, mature organisations, need to keep learning uh, and adjusting to the changing context. What I'd like to ask is. No, because that's very well known and we talk about the need to learn. But here we're talking about education and education is different from learning, right? Well, so we we try actually and not make that not make that distinction. I mean, I, you know, the edu- well, we, we can get into a sort of philo- philosophical argument. The distinction I like to draw is between education and schooling. I mean, lear- learning, I think, is sort of a, is is the process through which you one becomes educated, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, or one becomes, um, yeah, embarks on this journey called education. You, you, it involves learning, but it also involves unlearning, as 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 we discussed. So, for <clears throat> another speaker that that I had the opportunity to to uh, to, to interview, Jason Silva, who uh, you will, I'm sure, get a, get a chance to uh, to meet. He he made a, an interesting point. He said, "Look, we we all interpret the world using uh, mental models and, and frames. And if you want to learn something new, sometimes you've got to be able to you know you got to let go of the existing frames of reference and mental models that you have. Now that's that's a that was a great example I thought of unlearning. Uh, you know, so <clears throat> so that's the process." From which you, you which you become educated. Why I draw the difference between education and schooling is that again, school is a vehicle, you know, but it's not the only vehicle, uh, and very often it's not necessarily um, uh, best the best yeah. or effective. And just you know, just because you've gone to a good school or you've been schooled doesn't necessarily mean that you've that you're educated. If if learning hasn't taken place or it hasn't been internalized or or if you've just stopped learning um you know the fact that you went to a good school 20 30 years ago is in, in some cases neither here nor there i mean yeah. looking at that point just um in terms of disruption of education or maybe more narrowly according to our discussion disruption of schooling systems you know do we do we st- is there still a future for going to university and getting a degree or should we just get stuck in and learn on the job and get these diverse experiences? Any views on that, which has, you know, been quite a common question the last few years? Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I, st- I still believe there is value in, uh, in schooling. Um, I, I think there's value because, not just because, you know, education takes place uh, has traditionally taken place, or much of education traditionally takes place in that setting, but also because, you know, schools and universities are great places where, you know, for socialization uh, and for learning how to interact with, you know, with 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 other others, with peers, with uh, persons of authority in, in, you know, in the form of your teachers. Um, and I think there's value in that, in that, you know, physical... Uh, proximity to, you know, to to other individuals that that I, I think we tend to sometimes downplay when we talk about, um, for example, education technology and and uh, you know, p- 
personalizing learning to the point where essentially we're talking about atomizing learning, meaning, you know, you can, you know, you sit in your cubicle or wherever or at home in front of your screen and you get all your learning done that way and you don't need to, you know, step out and interact with other folks. Now, having said all that, though, if you take that socialization aspect and you say, okay, that socialization aspect is very important, is the school or the university the only place where that can meaningfully happen? I think the answer there is is no. I mean, in the workplace is another good example of uh, an ecosystem, an environment where socialization takes takes place. Again, we tend to, I think, downplay the importance and value of that because we we tend to focus a lot on uh, you know on productivity and 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 making sure that you know people don't waste time uh, you know and they they stay focused on task. But you know, I, I often wonder though. I mean, again, without that socialization aspect what what is it that we're doing mm. i mean are we just then talking about cogs in a machine as opposed to you know fully rounded well developed human beings yeah you know? no that's a really interesting point I, and i guess thinking about my own experience in university it wasn't just a piece of paper that i got at the end it was a period of time where you mature you become you know you you, you become grow an adult up. yeah you become yeah. an adult you go yeah. into adulthood and a lot of that is <laughs> the time that you spend with your peers and the struggles that you have with actually standing on your own two feet, really. You leave school and then you do that. So it's an exercise in becoming a mature person. And I think the aspect of socialization in the workplace, perhaps if there is more of a push towards um, learning at all stages of our lives within the workplace, and it isn't just focused on the productivity, but there is learning on the job, because we have that multi-generational workforce increasingly in the organization, Mm -hmm. then that is also a good opportunity for that socialization to take place in line with the pure uh, learning, yeah. the atomization that you say. If, bringing it towards the theme of the of the podcast on well-being. Um, and, I th- you know, I think from my own point of view and, and reflecting on this, learning and lifelong learning is a big part of well-being because we develop. Absolutely. And I think if we stretch yeah. ourselves, we are more well and we become better versions of ourselves. Um I don't know, just generally speaking in terms of well-being for you, in terms of wise, have you thought about that? Any general top level things? Yeah, we, we, we definitely, I mean, again, it's one of the topics that we are uh, interested in. We've, we have put out a couple of reports um, on, on the topic. And again, I think we, the, the revitalization of interest in the topic, because it's not necessarily a new topic. I think you and I, so we, we've done a podcast together on, uh, with with me as the interviewer, and and I remember we discussed that this is not a new concept. That in fact it's actually been around for um, over two and a half thousand years, if not longer. Uh, where you know people recognized early on that the uh, uh, a human being is 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 a complex uh, entity, a complex being that that has multiple needs that need to uh, need to be catered for um, and that the purpose of a good education was really to teach uh, people how to uh, to meet all of those needs uh, in you know in, in a in a holistic way so you know tr- traditional ideas around well-being emphasized physical as well as mental health and what we now 
call traditional, um, you know, education. So, you know, knowledge and and uh, and and problem solving and, and certain skills. Um, so I, you know, again, I think the, the the revival of that interest I think comes from, you know, the recognition that, you know, just thinking of education in terms of preparing somebody to, you know, be a better worker is is really selling the idea short and selling people short at the end of the day because that's not necessarily the path to contentment and self-fulfillment. Again, that's not to downplay the importance of, of, of making sure people do have meaningful work because we know that that's important. We know people find meaning in work. But there are other ways as well they are, and, and that, that need to supplement that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being able to, uh, you know, understand and regulate your, your emotions is likely to make you a, a more empathetic and uh, uh, a human being that's better able to interact with, with, with others. Uh, equally, looking after your, you know, your, your physical health also now we know, you know, the mind-body connection has been made even more explicit, you know, helps with your mental states and then makes you a better, more uh, more engaged uh, individual. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, kind of rediscovering that ancient wisdom, if you will, and, and, and now really seriously trying to put it into practice, I think is a very encouraging uh, development in, in, the, in the education space. And, you know, as I learned from you also in the, uh, in the workplace. Yeah. No, I mean, we covered this. It was an interesting discussion in the Wise Words um, podcast and just looking at the even the, the Greek system and their holistic view on education. Yeah. Classical Greek system. Yes, which, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which then yeah. Pierre de Coubertin, when he was reestablishing yeah. the modern Olympics, was, was railing against in that time, in the late 19th century, this over-specialization, yeah. um, which may have been, you know, the result on specialization of work from the first industrial revolution. Um, and even think, you know, thinking on, on other um, figures in history, um, like Robert Owen uh, in the new Lannert Mills, you know, that was the first um, uh, nursery school in the world. And even in Victorian era Britain, that was a very enlightened type of education, even thought about, you know, large windows and just having maximum daylight, large ceilings yeah. and having a very global yeah. view of education. So it seems that we did have you know, going back in, in history, we had the answers and then we kind of went the opposite way. So I'm encouraged to, I think we're, we're coming back to a lot of that ancient wisdom, as you say, from, from different cultures. And there's different aspects that we can we can pull on, right? The importance of play, Absolutely. perhaps. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Scandinavian model on how, you know, not too much on the side of testing, but letting young children especially play and discover and be creative and and have that active sandbox and part of that is being physically active as well and how that yeah. helps mental processes it's also interesting other things that we see more recently in terms of well-being in the workplace a big aspect has been mindfulness and now the actual implementation of mindfulness within schools and for very young kids to practice meditation especially in schools that are that are maybe you know have issues with 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 poverty and discipline, and they're finding that there's having a big effect on that. So it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see um, some of the things that are going to come out in the summit this week in terms of some experiments that that people are doing. And even I know that there's certain technologies that are being demoed 
um, this week as well. Is there anything in that space that we're going yeah. to really push the barriers back? Well, I mean, they, they, there's interestingly enough, yes, there are technologies and and pedagogies that are that are being demoed. Some in, in including you know involving technologies like VR. So there's a there's a VR game that we're demoing and people can try it out. That actually, it, it, interestingly enough, incorporates a VR player and then players that are not on VR but they're participating, helping that player. Uh, you know, trying to essentially it's sort of a, an escape room game using using VR. Uh, but the idea is 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 for for it to be a, a teamwork between the VR player who uh, is is apparently trapped on a uh, faulty space station uh, and the uh, ground control crew that's trying to get him or her back uh, and they're not on VR. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so there's that. But then we're also demonstrating pedagogies, of course, that don't use technology and and, um, and rely instead on, on sort of more uh, tactile and, and craft-based uh, 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 approaches, which again, I, I think are still still important and still have tremendous value even with, you know, when competing or comparing with, you know, with, with things like virtual reality. But interestingly enough, you mentioned meditation. We're also creating meditation sessions. We have meditation sessions and we have a, a sort of a quiet uh, room where uh, people will be able to go and, and practice uh, meditation and even have, have sort of guided sessions as to, as to how you, you know, you do this if you're not familiar with uh, with the approach. That's great. And, and I get just how many people are expected this week, just to get an idea uh, of scale? We have uh, around 3,500 people registered to uh, participate, attend the, attend the summit. Yeah. That's great. So really looking forward to it. Look, a little bit on the kind of context and the journey that brought you here, Stavros. So, um, yeah, you're on back ex-McKinsey and working in different countries around the world. Yeah. Is that really helped you in your, your current um, position as CEO and looking at this field education, any comments on your personal journey? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, I, uh, I started life as a, as a corporate lawyer, professional life, I should say, as, as a corporate lawyer, then, then made the transition from there to management consulting via, via business school. So I'm a product of, of, uh, of business education, if you will, uh, and then found myself after five years at, at McKinsey with an opportunity to move to a newly established graduate school of public policy. This was in, in Singapore, uh, and um, and to help build build that up as an institution. And I'd always I, one I I I loved education and academia. It was. You know, I was actually I I, I really had a <laughs> a good uh, experience at uh, in primary and secondary school and university, so and business school. So <laughs> I was, you know, if I if I could be if I could have become a professional student, I think I would <laughs> I would have gladly taken that on as a as a as a career. Um, so I thought that's yeah, this is great. I can you know I can sort of practice the skills that I've picked up. You know, as a consultant, and at the same time, build a you know you know be part of building an academic institution. So I went and did that for for seven years, and and uh, you know the 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 school uh, the, the the graduate school that uh, I helped establish grew you know beyond you know beyond I think the wildest expectations of its of its founders, and and you know something that uh, 
to this day, I'm, I'm sort of very proud of having had the opportunity to be be a part of that. Um, and then from there, I was I was sort of tapped to take on the 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 role and the and the sort of challenge of of in a sense trying to repeat that with you know with a very different entity, you know called called Wise, which was you know even perhaps less well defined in terms of what you know of, of its identity. What was it? Was is it an event? Is it a is it an organization? And 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 you know it's been a great privilege actually for me to to have had the opportunity to 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 lead this initiative and and this and build this team and an organization over the last seven years now yeah no no and and yeah i think the the sort of the having the experience of working in different parts of the world with different people yeah i was also reflecting earlier to you know that that i i did uh i, I did a two years of military service i grew up in cyprus so as as most young men at the time in, in Cyprus had to do two years military service upon leaving high school. And and there, the you know, the, the, the fact that you're put in a situation where you have to interact with individuals from very different backgrounds often, social backgrounds, than, than you know, someone who sort of grew up, you know, solidly middle class, fairly sheltered, I would say, probably childhood. Uh, this was, you know, this was a, a great learning process. And, 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 you know, and I think all of that, um, you know, to the extent that I've I've been successful, I think is is partly due to the fact that I you know I learned from a relatively young age how to get on with people and 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 um, and and just make a go of whatever situation you know you you happen to find yeah. yourself in. Yeah, well, it's interesting in terms of our path in life and career path. It always at the time it seems so random and chaotic and emergent, but when you look back, it seems nice and neat and tidy, and that you feel that there was things that happened for a reason, right? And you're in the right place. Well, we're, so. we're master storytellers, right? <laughs> yeah. So we we construct a narrative. Yeah. <laughs> so looking back, we construct the narrative to to kind of tell a, tell a story about ourselves, uh, you know, which which may or may not be be true. I think I mean I think it is random and chaotic, but absolutely. But you know, you you do you do need to have that narrative to to explain it to yourself first, yeah. and then yeah, we need to make sense communicate to it to to other people. But no, I mean, I I also acknowledge, I mean, that I've I've just been tremendously fortunate and and lucky in in uh, uh, in life so far. So great. Yeah. Another part of the context of the region. So uh, being based here in, in Doha and Qatar, um, any reflections on that? You know, you've got the backing, Qatar Foundation, there's other organizations that support WISE worldwide. Um, but any reflections on why it works here and, and, and some of the things that support it? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think why it's, it's important to, to note uh, that, that WISE is an integral part of, of Qatar Foundation. So we have, you know, we have this sort of brand identity that that's out there, but we are a a small branch on, you know, on this amazing tree that's called uh, Qatar Foundation. And you know, look, I think without the support of of the foundation, I don't think we would be able to do what we do uh, as well. And and look, Qatar itself is is also, I mean, it's it's a growing uh, global uh, hub. You've got you know people here from every corner of, uh, of, of the world. Uh, our, our team, the, the 20 odd people that, um, help, uh, put wise, uh, together and, and, and sort of run wise on a day-to-day -day basis are, are also from, you know, from very diverse, 
uh, backgrounds and we span, you know, uh, also I would say, you know, pretty much uh, uh, almost all adult age groups, you know, with, with uh, uh, you know, uh, with, with, you know, people in their kind of 50s and, uh, and 60s all the way down to the, you know, the 20-somethings that... Uh, that form the backbone of 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 the organization. So, so you know, almost it, a no hair to gray here. Almost, I, almost, almost, yeah, almost, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's great. And just finally, um, I'm sure you have wishes for this week, and and I wish you all the best for that. But thinking perhaps to to wise 2021, what would be the kind of narrative or story or wishes there? What would you like to see? in terms of things shifting forward, in terms of education worldwide? Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, look, again, we, you know, we're always, I mean, we, we keep, I would say, one eye on on the sustainable development goals. I mean, I think I think there is, you know, there, there is tremendous value in the whole world coming together and making a commitment of, of the kinds, the commitments the kinds that underpin the sustainable development goals. So, you know, specifically for education, there is this commitment to quality education for all, the emphasis being on quality, uh, as opposed to previously with the Millennium Development Goals, it was universal primary education, which I think people loosely interpreted as let's get everybody enrolled in primary education. And, you know, often they didn't always perhaps pay as much attention to what was actually happening to people, you know, to the kids in schools as, as they should have done. So, you know, again, if, if, if I look ahead, you know, what, what's the one thing that you can wish for is really that we, you know, we continue to get more and more serious about this ideal of quality education for all and, and, and you know, make, making that a, re a reality. No, that's great. So many thanks for your time today, Stavros. Wishing you the very best of luck this week for the Wise Summit. Thanks, thanks, Stephen, and thanks to you for being here and and, and supporting us. Looking forward to it. Thanks.